In this recording, we're going to learn through a piece from Rabbi Yosef Dov, a very fundamental discussion about how we sanctify the months versus sanctifying the holidays. So we'll see what he has to say. He has some very interesting ideas about this. Now, this piece was a shear that he gave on his father's yard site. For many decades, Rabbi Yosef Dov would give a very popular yard site shear for his father. And many of these were collected in Shi'urim Lezecher Abamari. But this shear is a much earlier one. It was was given in 1943, so on his father's third yard site. So it's one of the first yard site shiurim, and Rabbi Yosef Dov himself actually wrote it up and published it in the Hapardes Torah Journal, where he published a number of articles. So this article is reprinted in Kovetz Chidushe Torah, which collects a number of Rabbi Moshe and Rabbi Yosef Dov's articles, which appeared in Hapardes. So on page 47, it quotes this shiur called Kviyas Moadim Alpiha Re'iyah Valpiha establishing the holidays based on seeing the new moon and based on the calculation of the calendar. Now, in the version in Hapardes, so there's both a halacha discussion as well as a philosophical discussion which follows from it. And then afterwards, Reb Yosef Dov also includes a piece from his grandfather, Reb Chaim, which is related to the whole topic. So it's like a whole collection of a few pieces together. Now, in Kovetz Chidushe Torah, it only quotes the halacha piece, so it omits the philosophical piece as well as Rab Chaim's piece. That's how Rabbi Yosef Dov used to structure the Yortzeit Shir. The first half for about two hours would be on a halachic topic, and then the second half for the next two hours would be something more agadita. So that section was omitted in Kovetz Chidushe Torah. Now it's also worth pointing out before we get into this, that in the first volume of Shirim Lezecher Abamari, there's a Shir called Kriyas HaTorah B'Moadim on reading the Torah on the holidays, the special holiday readings that we have. And in that shear, Rabbi Yosef Dov goes through a lot of the same ideas. So the same ideas reappeared in a later Yortzite shear, which appears in Shear and Lezecher Abamari. Now, the version of all this that I'm going to go through is the one that's in Igros Hagrid, which is the early letters of Rabbi Yosef Dov. And the benefit of the way they structure it is that they had access to Rabbi Yosef Dov's actually handwritten material. So based on that, they tell us that there are actually three different units within this whole discussion. So there's a piece from Reb Chaim. There's then an additional piece building on that from Reb Moshe. And then there's a much longer shear building on all that from Reb Yosef Dov. So in the Hapardes version, it's not clear who said what. And in general, this is somewhat of a problem that sometimes Reb Yosef Dov or another Soloveitchik will write something and it's not clear exactly who said it. Like in Igrosa, Agreed in Hilchos Kiddush Achodesh, there's a long piece where Rabbi Yosef Dov says something basically identical to his uncle Reb Velvel's analysis in his piece in Hilchos Kiddush HaChodesh. So they basically go through exactly the same points and explain the different views of Rashi and the Rambam, their debate, identically. So I haven't seen the handwritten material, obviously, but it seems possible to me that Rabbi Yosef Dov somehow copied his uncle's ideas because it's a little bit difficult to believe that someone could formulate something so identically with somebody else. But obviously it's possible. 
And of course, none of this is to say that anyone was trying to steal each other's ideas. There was just a certain fluidity between Rab Chaim, Rab Velvel, Rab Moshe, Rab Yosef Dov, that some of the ideas get copied in someone else's handwriting, even though they were a different person's ideas. So again, in this case, there are ideas of Rab Moshe, which got attributed to Rab Chaim. So we're going to go through it very clearly based on the identification in Igros Hagrid. We'll go through Rab Chaim's short piece, then Rab Moshe's short additions to that, and then Rab Yosef Dov's much longer piece that builds on those ideas, but takes them in a totally different direction with a lot of very creative and novel insights. The Gemara in Rosh Hashanah tells a story where there was a debate between Rabban Gamliel and Rabbi Yoshua as to when Yom Kippur was. Now, Rabban Gamliel was the Nasi, so he was the head of the Jewish government, and Rabbi Yoshua was one of the great sages. So the Mishnah tells that Rabban Gamliel said to Rabbi Yoshua, on the day that you believe is Yom Kippur, goes I decree on you that you should take your staff and your money and travel to visit me on Yom Kippur. So this is a very serious debate. According to Rabbi Yoshua, there was going to be a day of Yom Kippur where everyone was going to be violating Yom Kippur based on the ruling of Rabban Gamliel. So Rabban Gamliel wanted him to show for unity's sake that Rabbi Yoshua accepts the ruling of Rabban Gamliel and the calendar that Rabban Gamliel and his court set up. So on the day of Rabbi Yoshua's Yom Kippur, Rabban Gamliel wanted him to violate Yom Kippur and to observe Rabban Gamliel's Yom Kippur with everyone else. So Rabbi Yoshua wasn't sure what to do because here he was a great posek in his own right and he felt that that day was Yom Kippur. So he discussed it with two people. First, Rabbi Akiva saw the that Rabbi Yoshua was upset. So he explained to him that he thought Rabbi Yoshua should follow Rabban Gamliel's rulings because the Torah says, These are the holidays of Hashem that you, the Jewish people, should call them. So we derive from there, that whether the holidays are in the right time or not, those are the only holidays that we have. So Rabbi Akiva argued to Rabbi Yoshua that he should follow the ruling of Rabban Gamliel because since Rabban Gamliel, as head of the Jewish people, had decreed that that day was Yom Kippur, so the Torah agreed with his ruling even if he had made a practical error and Rabbi Yoshua was actually right. But Rabban Gamliel's day was in fact the day of Yom Kippur. Now, after this, Rabbi Yoshua discussed the issue with Rabbi Dosa ben Horkinis, and Reb Dosa repeated the same basic idea as Rabbi Akiva with a different formulation. He said, If we're going to question the calendar of Rabban Gamliel, Then we have to go back and start questioning every court from Moshe until now. So if we're going to question one court, then we should question every calendar that's ever been. And obviously that's impossible. So again, we need to accept the ruling of the court. Whatever they say the calendar should be is the proper calendar. So based on the advice of Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Dosa, Rabbi Yoshua decided to follow the ruling of Rabban Gamliel and not question the central court's decisions regarding the calendar. Now, Rabbi Chaim asked, what did Rabbi Dosa add to Rabbi Yoshua that Rabbi Akiva had not 
not already told him. Rabbi Akiva said, based on the Torah, that any decision the court makes, even if it's practically wrong, since it's the court of the Jews that's empowered to make decisions regarding the calendar, whatever decision they make, the Torah agrees with, even if it's wrong. So what did Rabbi Dosa add to this by giving him a historical perspective that there's no point in questioning the court? What did Rabbi Dosa add to what Rabbi Akiva said based on the Pasuk? So Rabbi Chaim explained that there's a lingering question on what Rabbi Akiva said, because in fact, there were two courts who had both made decisions regarding the calendar. Rabbi Gamliel's court chose to believe the witnesses in this case, so they sanctified the moon a day earlier, and Rabbi Yoshua decided not to believe the witnesses because he thought they must be lying, so he did not sanctify it. So it wasn't like there was one decision made regarding the calendar, there were actually two different halachic authorities, Rabbi Gamliel and Rabbi Yoshua, both great Talmidei Chachamim and competent poskim, and each of them had a different calendar that month. They disagreed as to when Rosh Chodesh was. So according to Rabbi Akiva, even if the Torah empowers the Jews to decide when Rosh Chodesh is, but who does the Torah empower? Is it Rabban Gamliel's decision or Rabbi Yoshua's decision? And it doesn't make sense to say that because Rabban Gamliel's Rosh Chodesh was first, so he had first dibs to decide when Rosh Chodesh is, because as soon as he issued his ruling, Rabbi Yoshua disagreed with him. So why should Rabban Gamliel's Rosh Chodesh have taken effect when there was a legitimate debate about this issue? So that's what Reb Dosa came to answer, that in a case where there's two different courts that are debating the issue, so we follow the Nasi, whoever is the head authority of the Jewish people has the right of way. So even if Rabbi Yoshua were to question what Rabbi Akiva said, that the Torah empowered the Jews to create Rosh Chodesh, because he also had a court, so he had a legitimate right to create his own Rosh Chodesh. So the answer to that is what Reb Dosa said, that the power of creation creating the calendar rests with the Nasi because when Hashem gave the power of the calendar to the Jews, he gave it to Moshe and Aaron and Moshe, the Rambam in Sanhedrin, Aleph Gimel writes, was the Nasi. He was the head of the high court. So whoever in each generation is the head of the high court retains that power to make decisions about the calendar. And in that generation, it was Rabban Gamliel, not Rabbi Yoshua. So that's why his calendar was the more authoritative one against Rabbi Yoshua. But Rab Chaim adds that there's still a problem because the Rambam holds that the only court that can sanctify the new month is the Bezdin Haggadol, the high court, what we call the Sanhedrin. But one of the smaller courts, there were many smaller courts in the system, they did not have the right to do Kiddush HaChodesh, only the Bezdin Haggadol. So again, Reb Dosa's point should have been obvious. Of course, the court that was going to have the authority in this situation was Rabban Gamliel's court, not Rabbi Yoshua's court, because Rabban Gamliel was the Nasi. He headed the Sanhedrin. So obviously, his decision for that month was agreed to by the Sanhedrin. So once the Sanhedrin sanctified the new month, then of course Rabbi Yoshua couldn't disagree with it. So why again do we need Reb Dosa? Once it turned out, according to Rabbi Akiva, that whatever decision Rabbi Gamliel made is final, even if it's wrong, so then Reb Dosa's point is obvious that Rabbi Gamliel's court has authority over Rabbi Yoshua's lesser court. And even according to the Ramban, who disagrees with the Rambam, so he maintains that not only the Sanhedrin can sanctify the new month, but even a lesser court can. But still, says Rab Chaim, even the Ramban
Ramban agrees that if there is a Sanhedrin, then they have the final authority. The Ramban is only saying that when there's no Sanhedrin, if there is a smaller court, then they have the ability to also do Kiddush HaChodesh. But he also agrees that if there is a Sanhedrin, then it's part of their responsibilities. So again, why do we need what Reb Dosa said? That should be obvious. So Reb Chaim answers that in fact, we don't find in this story that Rabbi Gamliel made his decision with the whole Sanhedrin of 71 judges. So it seems like Rabbi Gamliel, as the head of the Sanhedrin, made this decision even without the Sanhedrin with only two other judges. So he had a small court, which was the same size as Rabbi Yoshua's court. So that's the two questions that Rabbi Yoshua was now wondering. First of all, he thought that Rabbi Gamliel made a mistake. So what do you do in a case where the court is mistaken? And second of all, Rabbi Gamliel did not make his decision with the Sanhedrin. He made it with a small court of only three judges. So what's the status of that ruling? So Rabbi Akiva answered the first question that even if the court makes a mistake, it doesn't matter. The Torah still recognizes their decision. So that answered the first question. And then Rabbi Dosa answered that even if the head of the Sanhedrin functions without the Sanhedrin, he still has the final authority over the calendar. So the Sanhedrin as a court is more powerful than the smaller courts, but the head of the Sanhedrin on his own is really the one that has the power over the calendar, even without the Sanhedrin. So even though Rabbi Gamliel did it without the Sanhedrin, with only a court of three judges, his ruling was still the final ruling and overpowered Rabbi Yoshua's court. So that's how Rabbi Chaim explained the halal significance of this story in the Mishnah and the two different things that Rabbi Akiva and Reb Dosa said. Now, Reb Moshe added on to this piece from Reb Chaim a very nice addition that based on Reb Chaim's idea that the person who's in charge of the calendar is not the Sanhedrin as a whole, but it's the Nasi in his own personal capacity as head of the Sanhedrin. So based on that, Reb Moshe answered another question on the Rambam. Again, the view of the Rambam is that only the Sanhedrin can sanctify the new month. So once there was no longer a Sanhedrin after the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, so according to the Rambam, the calendar now is based on mathematical calculation. We know basically the cycle of the moon, and based on that, we're able to figure out which day is the new month and when the holidays are. So according to the Rambam, there are two different eras in Jewish history. When there was a Sanhedrin, the new month was based on the witnesses seeing the new moon, and after the Sanhedrin, the months are calculated based on the mathematical cycle of the moon. Now, the Ramban in the Sefer HaMitzvot, as we said, disagrees with the Rambam. He maintains that when there's no Sanhedrin, a lesser court can still sanctify the new month. But he has a historical question on the Rambam. How could you say that after the period of the Beis HaMikdash, when there was no longer a functioning Sanhedrin, they no longer sanctified the new moon when they did sanctify the new moon until the period of Abaya and Rava, which is a couple hundred years after the destruction of the second base Hamikdash. So during those hundreds of years, how did they sanctify the new moon when there was no Sanhedrin? So the Ramban's asking a very basic historical question. How, according to the Rambam, did they sanctify the new month using witnesses 
after the Sanhedrin was already disbanded. So Reb Moshe answers this question based on Reb Chaim's overall idea. The Rambam in Hilchus Sanhedrin Chaf Vav Aleph rules that when the Torah says there's a prohibition to curse the Nasi, that includes the head of the Sanhedrin. So what we see from this Rambam is that the person who's in charge of the Sanhedrin is not only an officer of the court, so it's not just that he's the chief judge of the Sanhedrin, but he actually has an independent status as the Nasi. So not only does he have a status within the court, that there's certain decisions of the court, like adding a leap year, or if the court makes a serious mistake in a ruling. So those things require the participation of the chief judge. But not only does he have a role on the court, he also has a personal status as the Nasi. And Reb Moshe says that the Rambam's source for this is the Gemara in Horios Yud Aleph, which quotes that Reb Yehuda HaNasi, who was the Nasi, but after the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, so there wasn't a real Sanhedrin, but Rabbi Yudah Nasi asked Rabbi Chia whether he functions like a Nasi in terms of bringing a carbon when they make a mistaken ruling. So Rabbi Chia answered that he doesn't because there was someone with equal status to him in Bavel. Rabbi was in Israel and there was another leader outside of Israel. So in terms of that specific halacha, Rabbi was not the acknowledged leader, so he was not considered the Nasi. But the implication of that whole Gemara is that there are specific rules that apply to the Nasi, even independent of the Sanhedrin. And Reb Moshe adds that in fact, this same idea applied to any judge on the Sanhedrin. So a judge on the Sanhedrin had a personal status, even independent of being part of the rest of the Sanhedrin. So it's sort of similar to what we have in America, that there's a lot of judges, but each member of the Supreme Court has their own status as a justice, which is higher than a regular judge. And then there's an additional status when they're all together as the Supreme Court. So the same applied to the Sanhedrin, that the head of the Sanhedrin was called the Nasi, and that was an independent status. And each of the judges on the Sanhedrin had their own independent status, even when they were not all together. And the proof for this is the Mishnah in Sotam, Amdalat Amad Bez, says that for an Egla Rufa, when a body was found killed and they didn't know who the murderer was, so one of the rules was that they had to measure to the closest city. So the rule is that either three or five members of the Sanhedrin would come from Yerushalayim and measure. So this situation became a national concern because there was a murderer who was unknown. So they had to bring members of the Sanhedrin from Yerushalayim to wherever it was in order to oversee the measuring. But Rab Moshe points out, what is the point of three or five members of the Sanhedrin coming? That's not a Sanhedrin. You need 71. So what does three or five help you? So again, this proves the point that each judge on the Sanhedrin had a special status even when they were not all together and they were higher than the status of a regular judge on a regular court. Now, based on this, says Reb Moshe, when the Sanhedrin was disbanded at the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash or even a little bit before, so that removed the concept of the Sanhedrin. There was no longer a high court, but it didn't change the status of the individuals 
who had statuses based on the Sanhedrin. So let's say there was a judge on the Sanhedrin, he maintained his status even though there was no longer a Sanhedrin. And the proof for this is that Rebbe, even though he lived after the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash, so there wasn't a real Sanhedrin. There was a functioning Sanhedrin, but it didn't have the full powers of the Sanhedrin, which required being in the Beis Hamikdash. But even though Rebbe presided over a weakened Sanhedrin, he still considered himself the Nasi. So we see that individual statuses could outlast the ending of the Sanhedrin as an institution. So now if we apply Rab Chaim's concept to the whole idea of Kiddush HaChodesh, that it doesn't require the Sanhedrin, it only requires the head of the Sanhedrin. So that answers the Ramban's question on the Rambam. Even though there was no longer a Sanhedrin in the times of the Gemara, after the destruction of the Beis Mikdash and after the weakened Sanhedrin was over, so there was now no Sanhedrin at all, even so there was a Nasi, and that person was able to do the Kiddush HaChodesh, even according to the Rambam. So that's how they did Kiddush HaChodesh with witnesses until the time of Abaya and Rava, because the Rambam didn't mean that the Sanhedrin has to do Kiddush HaChodesh. He meant that the head of the Sanhedrin, the Nasi, has to do it, and that could outlast the Sanhedrin itself. So up until the period of Abaya and Rava, there was a Nasi. In fact, the last person to do Kiddush HaChodesh was Hillel Nesiah, a great descendant of the original Hillel. And for generations, that family were the Nasi. So he was the last Nasi, so he was the final one who could do Kiddush HaChodesh. So Reb Moshe very nicely applies this idea of Rab Chaim to answer the historical question of the Ramban on the Rambam. So now Reb Yosef Dov is also very busy with these ideas. Now before we get to the shear he gave in 1943, in Igros Hagrid, there's another very fascinating source about this. At the end of the Sefer, beginning on page 282, there's something called Kuntras Chaslavitz, which is a collection of Rabbi Yosef Dov's very, very early writings from when he was a young teen, about 13 or so. There's a story that Rabbi Yosef Dov sent his grandfather, Rab Chaim, some of his insights when he was only 13, and Rab Chaim was already impressed. So who knows if that story is true? And they don't know that this piece that they found is the same piece that was sent to Rab Chaim. But either way, these are some of Rabbi Yosef Dov's earliest insights. So it's interesting to see how he was already toying with these ideas very early, and then we'll see how he plays around with it as an adult. So in Os Tess, he raises the Ramban's historical question on the Rambam that his father just answered. The Rambam said that only the Sanhedrin can do Kiddush HaChodesh, and the Ramban asks, how did they do Kiddush HaChodesh in Abaya and Rava's generation without a Sanhedrin? So the young Rabbi Yosef Dov suggests a different formulation to this answer. He says that there are two elements to the Sanhedrin. Now, this is a classic idea in Brisk. Reb Velvel has a piece on this in Chidush Moran Riz Halevi, and Rabbi Yosef Dov has an adult formulation of this, which is very different. So this is his early formulation, and it's different than the standard one. He says that there are two elements to the Sanhedrin. One is functioning as a Sanhedrin, which meets in the Beis HaMikdash and has certain powers that are unique to the high court. Then there's a second element, which is even when they don't have the powers of the Sanhedrin, if there are 71 judges, then they have certain powers. So just like there's a court of 
of three judges. There's a court of 23 judges. There's a court of 71 judges, even if they're not a Sanhedrin, but that has a certain status in halacha. And the proof for this is because when there's a deadlock in the court, so they can't agree, they can't come to a decision, so we keep adding judges up until 71. More than 71, you can't add. So Rabbi Yosef Dov says, you see from this, this court is not a Sanhedrin. It's just a random court somewhere that's getting bigger and bigger because they can't resolve the situation. So why can't they go above 71? So we see that 71 judges has a certain status, even not as a Sanhedrin, but as a court of 71. So now based on this idea, he answers that the Rambam doesn't require the Sanhedrin with the full powers of the Sanhedrin meeting in the Beis HaMikdash for Kiddush HaChodesh, but even a court of 71 outside of the Beis HaMikdash is able to do Kiddush HaChodesh. So when the Rambam said the word Sanhedrin, he meant it non-literally. He just meant that number of judges. So that's how they did Kiddush HaChodesh later, even when there was no formal Sanhedrin, because they got 71 judges together, and they had the power to do Kiddush HaChodesh. So that's Rabbi Yosef Dov's initial answer to the Ramban's historical question on the Rambam. Now, in Os Yud, the next paragraph of these early Chidushim, so he discusses the related issue of the role of the Nasi in Kiddush HaChodesh. So the Rambam rules that they can only create a leap year, add an extra month, if the Nasi agrees with them. But if the Nasi does not agree to have a leap year, then the court cannot go ahead and add a month. So Rabbi Yosef Dov asks on this that the Mishnah in Idios and Sanhedrin and the Rambam also rules this way, that if the Nasi is away, he's on a trip when the court needs to decide whether to add another month so they can do so. They add the extra month on condition that when the Nasi returns, he's going to agree to that extra month. And if the Nasi does not want the extra month, so then it will backtrack and negate what the court did and it will no longer be a leap year. So the court creates a leap year on condition of doing what the Nasi wants. Says Rabbi Yosef Dov, why does the court need a condition if according to the Rambam, they cannot create a leap year without the agreement of the Nasi? So they don't even need to make this condition. It's understood that if the Nasi comes back and disagrees with the added month, it's going to negate the leap year. Why does the court need to make a condition? So Rabbi Yosef Dov says that again, there are two elements to the Nasi's role in adding a leap year. One is that he has to agree with the actual decision that this year should be a leap year. And the second is that he's the one who appoints the members of the court who are going to decide that. It's like the president of an organization creates a committee. So the Nasi is empowered to create the court that's going to determine whether this should be a leap year. So now when the Rambam rules that the Nasi has to agree to the leap year for it to take effect, that means in terms of the actual question of whether there should be an added month. If the Nasi says, I don't agree with this decision, then of course the whole thing doesn't take effect because he's in charge of that. He must agree for anything to take effect and the court doesn't need to make a condition. The condition is for the other aspect of this. What happens if the Nasi comes back from his trip and he agrees that there should have been a leap year, but he says, I don't want this court to have been the one to decide it. I would have chosen different judges. So that's not going to negate the leap year automatically. So that's why the court makes a condition that this court is empowered only on condition that the Nasi agrees agrees 
to it, but if he would not have selected these judges, so then the leap year does not take effect. But again, that would require a condition because it doesn't happen automatically. So according to Rabbi Yosef Dov, the Nasi has the power to choose the judges, but if they go ahead and do a leap year without him choosing the judges, he can't negate it. But the Nasi has the final say over whether this should be a leap year at all or not. So those are the insights that he has in his initial piece. So now we'll go to Rabbi Yosef Dov's mature shear that he gave on this topic, and he develops some stunningly creative and original ideas that build on what we've seen earlier, but take it now in a whole new and unbelievable direction. So he begins this discussion again with the view of the Rambam that only the Sanhedrin can do Kiddush HaChodesh based on witnesses seeing the new moon. But once there's no Sanhedrin, so then the new month is determined based on mathematical calculation. And again, the Ramban questions this because according to the Gemara, the Sanhedrin left the area of the Beis HaMikdash 40 years already before the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed. So according to the Rambam, there should no longer have been Kiddush HaChodesh based on witnesses. And yet we know from the Gemara that that practice continued for a couple hundred years up until almost the end of the period of the Gemara. So how did that work? So the question that we've been dealing with throughout. So now based on this, the Ramban disagrees with the Rambam. And first of all, he says, you do not need the Sanhedrin to do Kiddush HaChodesh. Even a regular court can. In the absence of the Sanhedrin, a regular lesser court can do Kiddush HaChodesh. And second of all, the Ramban disagrees with the whole idea that nowadays our calendar is based on mathematical calculation. According to the Ramban, Hillel Nesiyah created a calendar up until Mashiach comes and restarts the Sanhedrin. But up until then, Hillel Nesiyah sanctified every Rosh Chodesh and every holiday so that our calendar relies on the sanctification of a court, which is Hillel Nesiyah, one of the last courts that was able to do so. So according to the Rambam, there are two different methods of creating the Jewish calendar. One is through witnesses. That's how they did it earlier. And second is through mathematical calculation, which is how we do it nowadays. Whereas according to the Ramban, there is only one way to create a Jewish calendar, which is through sanctification of the court. And since there was not going to be a court, so the final court did so using mathematical calculation. Obviously, there were no witnesses for all time, but the court is the one that sanctified it. And according to the Ramban, there always has to be a court sanctifying it. So this seems to be the basic setup of the debate between the Rambam and the Ramban about how we create a Jewish calendar and sanctify Rosh Chodesh nowadays with no Sanhedrin. But now Rabbi Yosef Dov's going to say that it's not so simple and he's going to muddy this up a little bit because the Rambam and the Ramban actually have a third debate. The Rambam, in addition to the first two points, also says that when we talk about the calculation, the cheshbon that creates the calendar nowadays, we're not talking about our outside of Eretz Yisrael cheshbon. We're talking about the people of Eretz Yisrael's cheshbon. So the Rambam in Kiddush HaChodesh, Hey Yud Gimel writes, Zeshanu mechashvin bizmana kol echad ve'echad be'iro. This that we all have calendars in our cities that we know that today is Rosh Chodesh, today is Yantif. We're not relying on our 
own calculation. So let's say someone in Belgium creates a calendar. They're not relying on their own calculation. Because the halacha is you're not allowed to create a calendar outside of Israel. Creating a new month or creating a leap year must be done in Eretz Yisrael, not in Chutz Laaretz. We in Chutz Laaretz are relying on the calculation and the determination of the people in Eretz Yisrael. The fact that we do our own calculations is only so that we know which day is Rosh Chodesh or Yantif. Because we know that the people in Israel are just making the same calculation. They don't have witnesses come, so they're relying on the same calculation, so we could do the same calculation wherever we are in the world and figure out which day was Rosh Chodesh or Yantif in Eretz Yisrael. So whatever they determined in Eretz Yisrael is Rosh Chodesh and Yantif becomes the proper day all over the world, not what was determined in Chutz Laaretz. So here the Rambam says something very strange, that there's some group of people in Israel who are the ones who determine when Rosh Chodesh and Yantif is, and everyone else in Jewish communities in Chutz Laaretz relies on that determination. So we all do the calculation of the moon cycle in order to know what it is that they're sanctifying in Eretz Yisrael. So the Ramban asks, what is the Rambam talking about? There is no court that sanctifies the new month in Eretz Yisrael. So what is the Rambam talking about that there's some court or group of people in Eretz Yisrael who are responsible for the calendar throughout the world when we know of no such entity? So this is the third element of the debate between the Rambam and the Ramban. According to the Rambam, the only way to have a calendar throughout the Jewish world is that there's some group of people still living living in Eretz Yisrael. That's why throughout all the generations, there was never a group of people missing from living in the land of Israel, even if it was just a few people, but there has to be a small Jewish community in Israel. And the Ramban disagrees. He believes that at this point, all the calendar years have been sanctified and we do not need to rely on anyone in Israel to do so. But Rabbi Yosef Dov is going to explain the view of the Rambam because this is really a very strange idea that there are people in Israel today who sanctify the calendar. So Rabbi Yosef Dov explains that the Rambam is telling us something very important. As we said, according to the Rambam, there are two different ways to sanctify the calendar. One is with witnesses, and nowadays it shifted and we do it based on the cheshbon, the calculation of the moon's cycle. So we would have assumed that when the Rambam says that nowadays we do it based on cheshbon, it means that it happens automatically. Nobody needs to do anything to create Rosh Chodesh or Sukkot or Rosh Hashanah. It happens on its own. Once the cycle of the moon says that this is the new month, so it's automatically the new month. No Jews do anything the way we used to. In the olden days, the court would create the new month and then the holiday. But we would have assumed that that all ended once the process of sanctifying based on witnesses ended. And now that it's a mathematical formula, so it happens on its own. The Rambam is telling us that that is not correct. 
even when the calendar is based on cheshbon, it's not automatic. It still needs to be sanctified. So the only difference between the olden days and nowadays is that in the olden days, they waited for the witnesses to show up. And nowadays we do it based on math. But both of them require the Jews to actively sanctify the new month and the holidays because without that, it's not a Jewish calendar. So there is no such thing as a passive Jewish calendar that the Jews do nothing and Rosh Chodesh automatically comes around because of the moon. That cannot be. The essence of the Jewish calendar is that the Jews sanctify Rosh Chodesh. And the proof for this is because the Gemara in Babi Basra, Kufchaf Aleph, says that the Torah describes Asher Tikru'u Osam, that the holidays are called by the Jews. So Moade Hashem Trichin Kiddush Bezdin, the holidays need to be sanctified by the court. Shabbos Bereshis Eino Tricha Kiddush Bezdin. Whereas Shabbos, that we have every seventh day, does not require sanctification of the court. So the Gemara says explicitly that Shabbos happens automatically. Whether the court sanctifies it or not, every seventh day when the sun sets is Shabbos. But the holidays are different than Shabbos. They do not come about automatically. So if the Jews don't sanctify the calendar, they will not have Sukkot and Pesach and Shavuos. None of the holidays happen on their own. They must be sanctified by the Jews. So even nowadays, when we rely on the Cheshbon, we still need to sanctify the calendar. So now this explains very nicely why the Rambam says that even nowadays, the sanctification of the calendar has to be done in Israel, because that's the whole halacha. The Jewish calendar must be determined in Israel. That's the only place to sanctify Rosh Chodesh and to create a leap year. So in order to do so, because again, even nowadays we require an active calendar. So for the Jews to create the calendar must be done in Eretz Yisrael. It can't be done in Chutz Laaretz. So that explains why the Rambam says that the calendar is created by the Jews who live in Israel. But we still have the Ramban's question, who are the people in Israel who are sanctifying the calendar? We don't have a specific bastin that's in charge of this. So who is it in Israel that's in charge of the calendar? Now, there's another question. The Mishnah at the very beginning of Sanhedrin has a list of things that require the Sanhedrin. And it does not include Kiddush HaChodesh on that list. So according to the Rambam, this is very strange. If only the Sanhedrin can do Kiddush HaChodesh, so why is it not one of the things on the list in the Mishnah that only the Sanhedrin can do? So now, to answer all of this, Rabbi Yosef Dov presents his more mature formulation of the two elements of the Sanhedrin. And again, this basic idea is already in Chidushe Maron Riz HaLevi, the second piece in Hilchos Sanhedrin. But our concern right now is not about the Sanhedrin. So even though Rabbi Yosef Dov has a bunch of details about this, we're going to just go through this quickly to get back to the issue of Kiddush HaChodesh. The basic idea is that there are two elements of the Sanhedrin. One is that they are the high court, so they have the final interpretation of the Halacha. And the second Second is that they are the representatives of the Jewish people. So whenever we need a body to represent the will of the Jewish people as a whole, we can't get every Jew there, but we have the Sanhedrin and they represent the Jewish people. So it's almost like we have in the American government, the Supreme Court and Congress. The Supreme Court represents the law, not the people, whereas Congress is the representatives elected by the people. So if we want representation of the American 
American people, it's Congress. So the Sanhedrin is a combination of the Supreme Court and Congress. They are the highest law in the land, and they have final determination of the halacha, and they also represent the will of the Jewish people wherever we need that. And there are different halachas which are connected with different elements of the Sanhedrin. So now, says Rabbi Yosef Dov beautifully, that when the Rambam says that only the Sanhedrin can do Kiddush HaChodesh, he doesn't mean the Sanhedrin as a court. He means the Sanhedrin as the will of the Jewish people. In other words, the Torah didn't really say that the Sanhedrin is in charge of the calendar. It said that the Jewish people are in charge of the calendar. So the Jewish people as a whole have the responsibility to sanctify the new month and the holidays. Without the Jewish people, the holidays cannot get sanctified. Now, we're not going to have the whole Jewish people sanctify it. So the Sanhedrin as the representatives of the Jewish people do it, but when they sanctify the new month and create the calendar, they're doing so not as judges representing the Torah, but they're doing so as the representatives of the Jewish people. Now, Reb Yosef Dov brings a number of proofs to this idea, but we're not going to go through all of them. The first proof is the Gemara in Brachos Memtes and Beitza Yud Zayin that explains the language of the bracha we make on Yantif, Mekadesh Yisrael Hazmanim, that Hashem sanctifies the Jews and the Yantifs. So the Gemara explains that unlike Shabbos, which is not sanctified by the Jews, Yisrael Kadshinhu Lizmanim, the Jews are the ones that sanctify Yantif. So it sounds like if the Jews don't sanctify the holiday, it doesn't fully become Yantif. Also, he quotes a few lines in different Midrashim that seem to say the same thing, that the Jews are the ones that need to sanctify the holidays, otherwise they're not fully sanctified. Also, the Tosefta in Sanhedrin says that if the court adds a month for the leap year, they do it on condition that a majority of the Jews accept their decision. Now, why does the court need to rely on the Jews to accept their decision? Normally, a court makes a decision, and whether it's popular or not, it stands. So why does a leap year require widespread acceptance to take effect? So again, this proves the point that the Jews are ultimately responsible for the calendar. So if a majority of the Jewish people refuses to accept this as a leap year, then it doesn't take effect because this is something that is in their hands to determine. Now, the next proof ties back to Reb Chaim and Reb Moshe's pieces that we began with at the beginning. Reb Chaim said that when the Rambam says that only the Sanhedrin can do Kiddush HaChodesh, it doesn't refer to the Sanhedrin of 71 judges. It refers to the Nasi, the head judge of the Sanhedrin. He's really the person in charge of Kiddush HaChodesh. And Reb Moshe added that even when there's no Sanhedrin any longer, the person who's the Nasi still retains that power because the office of the Nasi is independent of the institution of the Sanhedrin. So a person can have the status of the Nasi and be in charge of the Jewish calendar, even not part of the framework of the Sanhedrin proper. So Rabbi Yosef Dov explains that what does all of this mean? What are his father and grandfather talking about? But based on his idea, this now makes sense. Because in general, when the Sanhedrin makes a decision, it doesn't depend on the Nasi Nasi's agreement. So it's not like the Sanhedrin rules and every halacha the Nasi has to agree to. The Sanhedrin can override the Nasi if a majority vote against him. So even though he's the head judge, but in terms of determining
determining halacha, he is one of the judges and they can outvote him. But Kiddush HaChodesh works differently because here we're not dealing with the Sanhedrin as a court that makes halachic determinations. So they cannot outvote the Nasi. The point of the Sanhedrin doing Kiddush HaChodesh is that they are representing the Jewish people. And in that regard, the Nasi, who's the head judge, so he's one of the greatest Torah leaders of the generation, he is the one that's the figurehead that really represents the Jewish people. So that's why when it comes to Kiddush HaChodesh, the Nasi has unilateral power that he can stop them from doing something because even though all the judges on the Sanhedrin are great Torah leaders and they all together represent the Jewish people, but the Nasi has a special elevated status that he's the leader of the Jewish people. So if he's against the Kiddush HaChodesh, then he can stop it. So that explains why the Nasi has such a prominent role in this area of Halacha, more so than any of the other cases that come before the Sanhedrin. Because Kiddush HaChodesh depends not on the Sanhedrin, but on the Jewish people. And the one that's most connected with that is the Nasi as the figurehead of the whole operation. So Rabbi Yosef Dov ties in his idea that the Jewish calendar is determined by the Jewish people through their representatives, the Sanhedrin, with the idea of his father and grandfather, that it's not the Sanhedrin really, but it's really the Nasi, the person in charge who represents everything. So now this idea answers the question on the Rambam, why does the Mishnah not list Kiddush HaChodesh as one of the responsibilities of the Sanhedrin? So the answer is that that Mishnah is only listing things that are in the purview of the Sanhedrin as halachic questions. So the Sanhedrin is in charge of those areas of halacha. But Kiddush HaChodesh is part of the Sanhedrin's responsibilities for a different reason. Not because they're in charge of halacha, but because they represent the Jewish people. So that's why it's not included in that list, because it's not similar to the other categories in the list. The reason the Sanhedrin does it is different, so it's not included in the list. So now we still have to understand what exactly does it mean that the Jewish people nowadays sanctify the calendar. We don't do anything actively to sanctify the calendar. So it's very nice to say that the calendar doesn't happen automatically. It requires the Jewish people to sanctify it. But how do we do so? So Rabbi Yosef Dov explains that there are two differences between the court sanctifying the calendar based on the witnesses versus what we do nowadays based on the calculation. First of all, there is a debate between the Rambam and the Ramban whether the court must say that the new month is sanctified in order for Rosh Chodesh to take effect. Meaning, what if they examine the witnesses and the court decides that it does want to sanctify the new month, but it doesn't say the word Mekudash, that it's sanctified. So there's a debate. According to the Rambam, it does not take effect. According to the Ramban, it still does. But either way, obviously everyone agrees that the court should say that the new month is sanctified. That's the way to do it in the olden days that the witnesses come to court and then the court makes a determination and they say this is the new month, this is Rosh Chodesh. As opposed to nowadays, we don't sanctify the new month or the calendar by saying today is Rosh Chodesh or today is going to be Sukkot or today is Pesach. The way we sanctify it is by living and keeping the halachas of the day. 
So when the Jews get up on Sukkot morning and they live in the Sukkah and they take the Lulav, that is a way of sanctifying that it's Sukkot, it's the 15th of Tishrei. When the Jews get together at a Seder and they eat matzah and they drink the four cups, that's a way of sanctifying that this is the 15th of Nisan, it's Pesach. So the way we sanctify the calendar is by living and following the laws of the holidays that creates the sanctity of the holidays themselves. So unlike in the olden days when the court announced what day it was, nowadays the Jews sanctify the calendar by following the halachas dependent on the day. The second difference is that nowadays much more people are involved in the sanctification of the calendar. In the olden days, it was the job of the court so either the Sanhedrin or a duly appointed court who did the Kiddush HaChodesh. So just a few judges were involved in the process and maybe there were a few people who were onlookers, but most of the Jewish people were not involved in the process of creating the calendar. The court which represented them were the ones who took responsibility. As opposed to nowadays, the Jewish people as a whole are the ones who sanctify the calendar. So each and every Jew who follows the halacha of the Yuntif is involved and responsible with creating the Jewish calendar and sanctifying the holidays and Rosh Chodesh. So each and every Jew has the responsibility that the court in the olden days had. And nowadays, the courts have no extra role in this process than anyone else. So we don't rely on a court to sanctify the year, but rather all the Jews, so everyone, it's much more democratic, everyone is involved in sanctifying the year and creating the sanctity of the holidays. So now this explains what the Rambam is talking about, that the Jews of Eretz Yisrael sanctify the calendar. He means that nowadays in the absence of the Sanhedrin, it's not the court's role anymore to sanctify the holidays. It's each and every Jews. And the Jews who are in charge of that are the Jews in Eretz Yisrael, just like in the olden days, the Bastin that did Kiddush HaChodesh had to be in Eretz Yisrael. It could not be in Chutzla Eretz. So the same rule applies nowadays that the Jews who observe the holidays, create the holidays, are the ones living in Eretz Yisrael, not the ones living in Chutzla Eretz, even though all Jews followed the laws of the holidays. But the ones who are sanctifying the calendar are the Jews in Eretz Yisrael who are observing Sukkot and Pesach. The Jews in Chutz La'aretz are observing Sukkot and Pesach because the Jews in Eretz Yisrael sanctified the calendar. So the Ramban asks on the Rambam, where's the court in Eretz Yisrael that does this? We know of no special basin that's in charge of this nowadays, but the answer is, like Rabbi Yosef Dov said, that we're not talking about a basin anymore. That's the way it was done in the olden days. Nowadays it's done by each and every Jew, and the Rambam is saying that those Jews Jews who sanctify the holidays, not the Bastin, but the regular Jews by following the rules, those are the Jews of Eretz Yisrael. Now, it's worth pointing out that he quotes a very fascinating Tosos in Rosh Hashanah, Chaf Aleph, Ahmed Aleph. Tosos says that whatever day the Jews in Bavel observed as Yom Kippur would have been the proper Yom Kippur, even if it was technically the wrong one according to the court. So this is a very fascinating Tosos and a very difficult Tosos, but Rabbi Yosef Dov uses 
this as one of his proofs that creating the calendar is the job of the Jewish people and not the court. But now he points out that Tosos disagrees with the Rambam and he holds that it's not only the Jews of Eretz Yisrael who sanctify the calendar, but even Jews in Bavel or Chutzla Aretz, anywhere in the world, any Jew who observes the holidays is sanctifying the calendar. So there's basically three views. The Ramban holds that the sanctification of the calendar always comes from the court and our calendars nowadays were sanctified by the last of those courts. The Rambam holds that nowadays the sanctification is through the observance of the Jewish people of the holidays, but specifically the Jews in Eretz Yisrael. And Tosfos, according to Rabbi Yosef Dov, holds that the sanctification comes about through the Jewish people, not only in Eretz Yisrael, but throughout the whole world. So now, based on all this, Rabbi Yosef Dov returns to answering the Ramban's historical question on the Rambam. According to the Rambam, how did they sanctify the new month during the times of the Gemara when there was no Sanhedrin? So Rabbi Yosef Dov proposes an answer which is sort of a combination of his father's and his earlier answer. His father said that the Rambam does not require the Sanhedrin, he requires a Nasi, and that they had during the period of the Gemara. Whereas Rabbi Yosef Dov in his childhood had suggested that the Rambam does not require a Sanhedrin, he requires 71 judges, which they would get together. So now he combines these two ideas and he formulates a much sharper, more fundamental answer to this whole question. He says that according to the Rambam, you don't require the actual Sanhedrin with the full force of the Sanhedrin to do Kiddush HaChodesh. Because again, this is not one of the halachas that the Sanhedrin determines because they're the judges of the Torah. But rather, Kiddush HaChodesh is something that the Sanhedrin has responsibility for as the representatives of the Jewish people. So even once there was no longer a Sanhedrin, either in full force, because there was no Beis HaMikdash, or even later when the whole Sanhedrin as an institution fell apart, so they didn't even have the weaker Sanhedrin, but there were still recognized Torah leaders who had the ability to lead the Jewish people and they could make decrees that were enforceable on the Jewish community. So the period of the Gemara, even though there was no Sanhedrin, was not like nowadays when there's no central authority that can make rules that are enforceable on the Jewish people. Each community has its own leaders, its own rabbis. But in the times of the Gemara, there was still a national central authority that had the ability to make rules for the Jewish people. And that's what's collected in the Gemara. That's the authority of the Gemara. So even though they had no Sanhedrin, they did have authoritative. Torah leadership with centralized national authority. So says Rabbi Yosef Dov, when it comes to Kiddush HaChodesh, you don't require the formal Sanhedrin with all the rules and power of the Sanhedrin, but even if there's a centralized authority of Torah leaders, so they are able to do Kiddush HaChodesh because they represent the Jewish people. Again, we don't need a Sanhedrin, we need the representatives of the Jewish people, and that could be even a recognized group of Torah leaders 
even if they're not a Sanhedrin. So that answers the Ramban's question on the Rambam, the way they sanctified the new month during the times of the Gemara, even though there was no Sanhedrin, is because they did have the element of the Sanhedrin that there were Torah leaders who represented the Jewish people. So those leaders were able to do Kiddush HaChodesh up until that fell apart. And then according to the Rambam, it switched that the Jewish people themselves had to do Kiddush HaChodesh based on the Cheshbon. So applying Rabbi Yosef Adov's grand idea that the Sanhedrin does Kiddush HaChodesh as representatives of the Jewish people answers the Ramban's historical question on the Rambam. The answer is the Rambam holds that so long as the Jews recognized a central Torah leadership, those people did Kiddush HaChodesh. Once that stopped being the case, now we have the system in place that we do nowadays where we all observe the calendar and that sanctifies the calendars. So there's a lot of tremendous insights in Rabbi Yosef Dov's approach and it answers a lot of these questions very nicely and it explains the approach of the Rambam very beautifully with a very beautiful insight into what it is that we're doing and the power of observing Sukkot and Pesach and the holidays nowadays that we are the controllers, we determine the Jewish calendar. Now, Rabbi Yosef Dov adds onto this piece a few more small points. So first of all, he connects this whole discussion with another one of his major themes about the Mesorah, the nature of the tradition of the Torah, specifically the Torah Shabal Peh, that's passed down from generation to generation. So this is another theme that he focuses on a lot, and he has a lot of different ideas, both halachically and philosophically about this. So in this shear, he quotes one of his analyses of the Rambam, of the nature of the Mesorah, and he connects it with the idea that he just said, that even if there was no Sanhedrin, because there were recognized Bale Mesorah, Torah leaders who were acknowledged to have mastery over the Torah Shabal Peh. They were the leaders of their generation, which is missing nowadays. So because there were these recognized Bale Misora in the period of the Gemara, even though there was no Sanhedrin, they were representatives of the Jewish people and they were able to do Kiddush HaChodesh. But I'm not going to get into the details of this because I think the idea we just said stands on its own and it makes sense even without this whole piece about the Bale Misora. And it sounds like he's adding it in specifically because he says that his father really enjoyed when he told him this. So his father agreed with his analysis. So in a Yortzite share for his father, he's throwing it in. But again, the idea seems to make sense on its own, even without this further elaboration. So this shear from Rabbi Yosef Dov is a tour de force, and he's combining three of his major themes. The analysis of the two components of the Sanhedrin, the analysis of the role of Bale Misora as people who pass a along the Torah, over and above their role as people who study the Torah. And then finally, this very significant third point that the Jews are the ones that are responsible for the calendar. And if there is no recognized representative of the Jews, there is no court with that type of authority. So then it's up to each and every one of us, or at least the Jews living in Eretz Yisrael, to be responsible for sanctifying the calendar. And the way to do so is through observing the holiday. So this is a very powerful idea. Now, at the end of this piece... 
So he does go through a number of questions where this theory does not seem to fit into the Rambam or other earlier sources, and he tries to make sense of some of them. So there are a good number of details that don't fit into this grand theory, which is the nature of grand theories, that some of the details and language and formulations might not always fit perfectly in. But overall, this is a very powerful idea. And again, Rabbi Yosef Dov does raise a number of questions on his approach. Now, it's also just worth mentioning very briefly, we're not going to go through the whole shiurim, but in shiurim l'zecher abamari chelek aleph, in the shir entitled Haskaras Rosh Chodesh V'chol HaMoed, so there Rabbi Yosef Dov revisits this whole idea and he connects it with what we call Birkas HaChodesh. So on the Shabbos before Rosh Chodesh, we do announce it publicly in Shol, and Rabbi Yosef Dov connects this with the view of Rav Amram Gaon, who seems to believe that Birkas HaChodesh originally was a way to recreate the sanctification of the month that the Bastin used to do in the olden days. So Rabbi Yosef Dov connects this with his whole idea that nowadays the Jewish people are responsible for the calendar. So that's why we are all playing the role of the court, even though in the olden days the court sanctified Rosh Chodesh, but nowadays we all do it. So in that shear, these ideas reappear. And then in the next shear, which is called Kriyas HaTorah B'Moadim, the Torah reading of the holidays. So there Rabbi Yosef Dov discusses this at further length. And there he connects the idea that on each of the holidays, we read a section of the Torah, which is relevant to that holiday, which is different than Shabbos, where we read straight through the Torah. So one Shabbos's reading just follows from where we left off the previous Shabbos. Now, even though there's some Kabbalistic or Hasidic ideas that each Shabbos is defined by the Parsha of that week, so it is connected, the Torah reading, to the nature of that Shabbos, but those are much later ideas. The original halacha is just to read a part of the Torah on Shabbos. In fact, there were some places that used to finish the Torah every three years, so they didn't even read the whole Torah every year. And even our custom to read the whole Torah annually, but the division of the Parshas is much later. So originally, one could divide it however they wanted. Nowadays, we have the Parshas. So very clearly in the halacha, the point of reading the Torah on Shabbos was to have a Torah reading, as opposed to the Yantif Torah readings, which are specifically connected to that day. So we pick and choose sections from the Torah that relate to that Yantif. So again, Rabbi Yosef Dov connects this whole thing with his overall idea that we need to sanctify the Yantifs as opposed to Shabbos, which is sanctified independent of the Jewish people. So that's why on Shabbos, when the day is already sanctified, so our job is to study extra Torah on that day, which we do through the public Torah reading. But when it comes to Yantif, it's not enough to just study Torah because we have to sanctify the day. And part of the way we do that is by publicly announcing the day through the Torah reading. So that's why Sukkot Pesach, the Torah reading has to be relevant to the day, which is part of the overall process of sanctifying the calendar, which as we saw, Rabbi Yosef Dov believes is the responsibility of all the Jews in their Jewish communities. So that's why in Shul, we read the sections of the Torah that will accomplish that. So this is a very powerful idea and it has a few conceptual applications to understanding the Yantifs.